Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Karadimus. Hello and welcome to Business and Property Development. This is the second part of my conversation with Adam Haddo of SJB Architects in Sydney. As mentioned previously, in this part, Adam provides some unique insight into the underlying foundations that have supported the development of SJB Architects as a brand and business. Foundations like the importance of trust, having the right business partners, as well as some really interesting personal observations on business ownership and succession planning. I hope you enjoy it. So just taking a step back into um, SJB in the in the early days, it was a, it was a very small practice in mm-hmm. Sydney at the mm-hmm. at that point in time. So yep. how how many? So there was maybe three interior designers who were a different business, and then there was John and I and Nick Kylie and maybe one or two other people when we moved from the PTW office as yep. a joint venture into SJB. John, so there had been another. Uh, partner in the practice, John and another partner, and that, that had, had not worked. So when I came across to be a partner, it was just John and Nick and me and Kylie, I think pretty much at that stage, there might have been one or two other people. And like positively and negatively, um, the S and the J and the B just completely left us alone. They were like, go for it. And at that stage, we didn't own much of the business at all. Like we were very minor shareholders in the business. So we just made it up as we went along. And we won, I remember there's two competitions which probably helped us seed. So the first one was we we did a competition, Kylie and I did a competition for the Glebe Harbour for Australand. I can't remember who was on the jury. I have a feeling maybe Kim Cristani was on the jury, but we won that competition. We did an all-nighter. We, we painted two paintings for that competition. I have no idea why we thought that was a good idea, but anyway, we did it. We won the competition and that got us going. So that was the job after St Margaret's. And then the next one was we, we were asked to put a submission in for... Roads Central, so there was Roads North, which Meriton owned, and Roads South, which I think Mervac owned, and then Roads Central, which Multiplex at that stage owned, I think. And we were asked to do a competition, and Deborah Deering actually was on the um, competition jury for that, and we won that competition. And that was Yoan, uh, a student we had from Ireland who was working with us. I think his name was Yoan. And I, um, again, did an all-nighter, made a model to finish that. I mean, it was so chaotic, to be yeah. honest, I think, in retrospect. But we won, we won that competition. We're still working on that job now. Like, that's, what, 2018 years ago. A, the roads. The roads. So the, the roads Central Roads project, we won it in a master plan urban design competition 20, 18, 19 years ago. And it was for multiplex. And then we did that. We got the master plan. We lodged a master plan for the site. And then we did the first stage with multiplex. Then multiplex sold it to Bill Berger. And then Bill Berger have done things. And then they sold bits to other clients. We did other. Mm. It's been going on forever. The first competition, so there was a maximum height limit of six stories on roads. And we proposed reducing the height limit at the waterfront to two and taking the resultant space and putting it on top of the buildings at the back. Mm. So I think we wanted to go from two to 15. And that, and the jury was aghast. That was like, no way, you can't do that. We love your urban master plan, but you can't change the heights. You can only do six stories. We're like, okay, whatever. And now we're doing a 52-story tower out there. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> 
I have no idea. I mean, I have I, personally, I haven't been involved really in roads since the competition. I did the competition, and John really has taken over and done roads for 20 years. Like, that's been really his, well, one of his major projects in the office. Mm. And Nick as well, yeah. So, uh, yeah, under this, I, I guess there are, there are actually quite a few little packets which I'd like to come mm. back to mm-hmm. um, afterwards. Yeah, and just on these ve- these various things that we've touched on. So, so is the winning winning of projects mm-hmm. over you know numerous years and to the point at which SJB is today. So you've gone from say three to six people in the yeah. early days mm. to today. Well, a, I think is total is about a hundred, but 100, yeah, that's yeah, across in the, in the planning and, and architecture, urban and, and the kinds of projects now that varied much. Oh, massively. Like, I mean, now we're doing schools and hotels and towers and still doing residential. We're still doing some private houses, commercial office building sites. I personally don't think, feel like the office is any different from what it was when we were two. Literally, I people say to me, oh my God, it's such a big office. I'm like, really? Like, it's not a big office. It's a small office. <laughs> it's tiny. Admittedly, um, I, did, <clears throat> I did feel the same kind of thing. Like, the, yeah. um, when, when, it, when I was working there, it was... It always felt quite compact yeah. and very familiar. Yeah, I think family-like. maybe also a little bit, um, I think there's something, spontaneity is probably the wrong word because that's probably mm. a bit too generous as a word, but it's quite, there's a bit of something electric about it, like like a, probably a bit of my personal chaos in terms of the way I work comes into the office, yeah. which can be seen as chaos. It can also be seen as energy. I'd like to see it as energy. Yeah. So there is something about, it's quite direct, I suppose. The days in the office are quite direct. There's mm. quite a lot of energy around them. But it doesn't feel big. It doesn't feel corporate. It feels quite familiar. Yeah, actually, and, and just on that uh, on that point of energy and, and keeping things exciting, mm. I, I definitely want to come back to that because there is, there is something that I'd like to sort of tease out mm. a bit with regards to that. And mm. Um, what keeps a business interesting after it's been in business and been sort of quite successful over mm. a long period of time. So mm. we'll, mm-hmm. I'd love to come back to that one as well. I guess, um, so with the fact that SJB has grown into such a diverse uh, practice, won numerous you know, high-profile mm. awards and um, a very successful company, I mean, there's obviously a, a really strong business foundation that sits underneath it, mm-hmm. which enables, enables that work to be done. I guess one of those things that I'd like to, uh, I guess that I'd like to understand more about is what some of those challenges were in the early days which Mm -hmm. facilitated building that base of Mm -hmm. like a really good sort of business so did it come from processes or the way in which partners gelled together which gave it some cohesion yeah it's a lot of different things i think um probably the first one is trust i trust john implicitly and explicitly like i trust i probably trust him more than anyone i trust in the world right so there's never been uh, and any element of distrust, I think, between us. It's like if he's doing something, it's for the best of the business. And I think, and I would hope he'd think likewise, right? So I do see in a lot of other businesses a distrust amongst leaders that that I think is, a bit, is quite caustic. So there's always been trust. And I think there's always been um, trust with, we've always had really good financial control support so SJB as a business was really well organized and really well run and they had a financial control they've had a series of financial controllers who sat outside the business and ultimately became a different business and they have that uh, financial business uh, has always been our part of us I suppose like so we've always engaged them so they do all of our financial services and our accounting and our invoicing and our timesheets and all that kind of stuff and there's a huge amount of trust there as well so it's not you can get caught up worried about the five to 10% which might be wrong rather than focusing on the 90% that's right. So you just, in my mind, it's like, just trust in that it's gonna be right and deal with the five to 10% which might end up not being right at mm. some point and 
worry about that then because if you worry about the 10%, the 90% never happens. So it's like focus on the fact it's pretty much going well. And I think that's kind of a little bit like the the business holistically. It's like don't sweat on the small stuff. Don't focus on the small stuff. Have Make sure you know what's going on. But at the same time, you have to trust people around you to 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 have the best interests of the business at heart. And I think in a certain way, kind of positive way, I don't see SJB as my business. Like it's not my business. It was started by somebody else. And in a way, my role is a custodian of the business to grow it, or not to grow it, just to be a custodian of it. There's no, there was never any implicit need to grow it, um, but to be custodian of do do what it, do with it what I want to do with it, but leave it in a better place, which is quite liberating because if you if it's your business and you see it as your business, independent of whether you start it or you just come into a business, if you see it as your business, I have a feeling it can be quite constraining that you maybe don't maybe it's quite challenging to accept the fact that some things aren't going to be amazing where it's not your business and I don't mean that in a flippant way but it's not my business it's a group of people who direct the business and there's some of them are in the business and own it and some of them are don't are not owners I don't I don't really think owning the business makes it your business it just means that you have a different role so there's other people who don't own the business who are as important if not more important in terms of the business and its longevity than me so what my role Role is to give it some energy, give it some direction, give it my personality, and then at some point I'll pull, I'll stand back from that, and someone else will come in and do the same thing, hopefully, and that kind of grows it. So I think you know, trust is super important to trust in yourself, but also trust in the people around you, and don't question that. Yep. Really, don't question it because as soon as you start questioning it, you get run down a rabbit hole, and you think, oh, you know. Um, so that's been really good. I think also just acknowledging your role and the energy that your role has. It's kind of not your own. You have to, to a certain extent, you're a cheerleader and you can't, like, I'm not very good at hiding my emotions, as you well know, Harry, (laughs) but, you know, you have to, some days you have to think, I just can't, I can't be how I feel today. Mm. I have to be somewhere else. I did 30 years of being in the closet, so I know how to do that. So, you know, like, today I have to be the person the office needs me to be and I cannot be the emotion that I feel. So I've got to just be this because there's yeah. something going on in the office. I've got to make sure it happens. I've got to, so you, it's quite, you kind of have to put yourself secondary to that sometimes. That's That can be quite, that's, that's a challenge though. Oh, that's really challenging. Because it, it's kind of like, I, I see it as, um, it's it, from my point of view, it's like parenthood. You, you cannot actually, you don't have a choice for feeling the way that you feel you actually just have to be what the other people need need from yeah and um i think that's a but that's also a really special leadership quality because it also shows that you're there for everybody that's yeah works with you yeah i mean i think that's the role that you play like it's not you're not there for you Mm. i mean hopefully you generate some enjoyment out of it yeah of course (laughs) of course (laughs) but you're not there for you you're there for everybody else like that's your that's your role and Mm. if i didn't want that role i should be a project architect and my role would be doing beautiful details to get a beautiful building built i just watch there's a film i watch called dior and i which is a documentary about when raf simons became the creative director at christian dior the most fantastic documentary, I think, about this role. So the leadership role you have in a business, in a creative business, to give it direction, but understand that your position is one of custodial rather than ownership, yeah? And one of the, in the atelier who make the clothing, and um, I think often, if you think about fashion or architecture, the name is the person who you think does all the work, right? But so wrong. It's not. It's the people who work in the atelier who do mm. all the work, and really, that's where the knowledge 
exists actually. And one of the Atelier staff said something along the lines of, look, I always wanted to work at Christian Dior in the Atelier, not as the designer, because the value in Christian Dior is in the Atelier. It's that built up knowledge of collective knowledge of over 60 years, 70 years. And you are, you're super important in that role to take the knowledge, build the knowledge and pass it on to the next person. And I think it's so right that actually, you know, my, my leadership role in the business is just really nudging it from left or right slightly. But the people in the office, in the studio, who actually deliver the projects are far more important because they're the ones who grow the knowledge, the knowledge base and that really, that, that kind of explicit uh, information that exists in the office, which makes the office different to other offices, right? That's the most. That's the most important bit. So, how, as a leader, do you provide the right support network for them to thrive? Yeah. And how do you get it to be so stable as a business that they stay? Because if they leave, or they have to leave, so either there's an economic downturn and you cannot support the office, mm. or they're pissed off at you and you're leading their business bad and they leave as through their own will you lose so much information by doing that right and so much knowledge and so much history and you lose it's like losing a limb right so how do you make sure that you create the right environment so one of my absolute negative things as a as a leader in the business is i get really depressed when people leave right i get so <laughs> depressed <laughs> And I have to, it's like not, it's not a, at all a personal thing, but it's, it's like really, I, fi- I find it like losing a member of the family. Like it's really emotional for me, which comes across in a whole lot of different ways, which, you know, have very bad side effects, I'm sure sometimes. But it's because I, I kind of recognize the knowledge that that person has and the wealth of uh, input that they, they have in terms of the environment, like the mini microclimate that they mm. exist within the office and what that means and how, what's that what's that growing and how's that feeding other parts of the practice. Part of just keeping that part of the conversation going, uh, I'd, and this is a little bit further down, but that's idea of um, kind of culture of the business. Mm. And I, I, Sometimes I, I struggle to sort of give it a name, but would you say that that's how, you know, that's part of the culture of SJB in, you know, that it starts from you providing a very safe and yeah, hopefully. I mean, I think the challenge, the thing for me is because I never really worked in another business. <laughs> and when I moved to S- Sydney to uh, work at SJB and then run SJB, there was only three of us. I don't really know what a good or bad culture of a business is, right? I just do what I think is right. And I think hopefully that's good. Like, but I'd lo- I would have loved respect. I'm like, I wish I had worked somewhere else because I'd actually know what is a good or a bad culture. But, you know, I hear anecdotes from other people about when they used to work at or when they were at. And I think, oh my God, how did you ever work there? Like, how was that ever acceptable as a condition of employment? Like, how is that possible? So often I'll get, uh, you know, I sit on lots of different committees and, you know, strategy groups and all that kind of stuff. And people regale stories about what has happened either in another practice or in their own experience. And I'm just like, I'm aghast. I'm yeah. like, but I do, but so I suppose I think that we've created a good culture in the business and it has a, Hopefully it has a sense of family and any negativity that I have when someone leaves doesn't infect like it's the loss that I feel when someone leaves. Hopefully that doesn't breed. It's I try to contain it. So hopefully we build a good culture. My biggest challenge now is how, what is, I have to think about succession planning. I must leave. Uh, I must leave the practice if the practice is to thrive because there'll be a point quite soon where I don't have the energy for it or I don't, or I need to grow into a different position to ensure I'm still enjoying and all that kind of stuff. How do you make a space 
but at the same time retain the energy. A colleague said years ago, it's like putting your fist in a bucket of water. You think it's re- it takes up a lot of space and as soon as you take it out, you never knew it was there in the first place. And so that's my ambition. When I move, I'd like people to, when, I get, when I'm not in the business, I'd like people to never even know that I wasn't there yeah. in a way, you know. Like, yeah. And also I think the challenge is how do you be generous enough to create the opportunity for people that you were given when you became a partner. So I, was, I became a partner. It was incredibly generous of the SJMV to make to mm. make that offer to give me that opportunity. Like I knew nothing about business. I knew nothing about the world. I knew nothing about architecture really when I became a partner. I just had a bit of energy. So to not expect more of people than you that was expected of you is I think super challenging because you as you know more, you start to think that people should have more knowledge than you had when you became that and what. So, you know, and I think people work in different ways. Some people some people take leadership once when they're given it. Other people take leadership prior to being given it. And neither is right. They're just different personality traits. Mm. So you've got to kind of try and find the different ways in which people work and facilitate that and hopefully throw it in the air and hopefully it lands and it's all okay. And, it's all right, and, yeah. like, and if it's not okay, you know, the, the office or the business has to go through its own rebalancing, you know. I'm just wondering if you feel like it might be slightly easier for you to eventually exit because you also slipped in in that in that way as well. And, and like you said, it's, it's sort of custodian. Yeah. So you don't, like it is your baby and it has mm. been for a long time but mm. it's also it's also like you said it's not yours yeah 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 so, I get quite anxious when I think about it <laughs> in a way like I uh and not because I'm because I'm not a planner so I don't sit here and think well in this period of time in four years time I'm going to be doing x so I find that quite I find a bit anxious about that because I'm like oh my gosh like I have, I have to plan for I have it. to plan for this <laughs> like I don't like this I don't like having a you know something dictated even though I'm dictating it to myself but it's super important like you've got to make sure that you I come 47 even if I want to retire in my mid 50s I have to make the space now because it's going to take time for people to grow into that position and it's unrealistic for me to say, here, take it and mm. do with it what you want. And then there's not only John and I, it's John and I and Nick and Jonathan and you've got a, there's different partners at different phases of their life and levels of expectation around what business does. And, you know, so you've got to manage that mm. and your ambition may not may be different to their ambition, but that's where it's kind of important to kind of think about what's the ambition of the office. It's not individual I don't think it should be individual ambition it should be the collective ambition of the office mm. quite hard to keep that in mind all the time um, and that was one of the things that I wanted to get mm. get back to that idea of business partners so not to go back too mm. far in the early days but I, I do want to uh, sort of understand a bit more about I guess what that dynamic was like mm. just in the in the early days like you said you didn't know John very well mm. yet you were also becoming sort of partners mm. in the in the practice mm. so how how did you guys work around John and I have a sibling relationship I would say we're a bit like brothers John's one of John's eldest son of a large number of very large yeah. you know uh, siblings so I think he deals quite well with younger uh, obnoxious siblings <laughs> <laughs> so he's quite patient I suppose would be yeah. the word whereas I'm really impatient we don't have a we don't have a very I wouldn't say we have a typical business relationship and it's not we're not not close but we're also not close do you know what I mean like we're super close but we're also not, you okay. know, going around to each other's house every weekend mm. or anything like that. So it's quite familiar, I suppose, family-orientated, familiar, uh, where we kind of can get angry with each other and be over it quite quickly. So you don't have to hold a 
grudge. It's you can have an argument about something and be done with it. And because you trust it, because there's a level of trust, it's like I'm really pissed off with you right now. But can you sign this check because we need to pay something? You know what I mean? Like yeah, so yeah. But. We are definitely yin and yang. Most people would categorise me as an extrovert. Most people would categorise John as an introvert. Yeah. I'm chaotic. John's very planned. You know, we are completely yin and yang. So I think, you know, we're kind of a bit like the odd couple, I would say. You know, we just people... I mean, lots of clients don't even know John exists, which is in itself a positive and a negative. It's really bad because he's quintessentially the success of the practice. Like if the, if John wasn't there, the practice wouldn't exist, right? Yeah. Because the steady hand, ensuring that things are set up correctly, ensuring the business is heading the right direction, for all the for all reasons that you'll know, that is that's ne- that's a necessity for the business. Yeah. And he contributes enormously to the knowledge base of how to build things and when to say no to clients and how to deal with contractors. And he's the person that everyone goes to that says that says I've got this situation. What do I do with yeah, it? Right. Proper business issues. Like, totally. I know totally. how to sort it. But even architectural issues, they'll be yeah. like, I've got this contractor doing this. What do I do? Yeah. Kind of thing. We do work quite independently as well. So we're not sitting next to each mm. other, drawing each other's drawings. We don't have that kind of architectural business relationship. And that was one of the things that I wanted to ask. So it's in those early days, how did you sort of work around each other? Did you pursue projects in tandem hmm. or did you have sort of separate clients? Like, you know, you do roads and you've you've also got the Glebe side. Yeah, I think probably at the start for John, there was a bit of whiplash mm. when I came, when I arrived in the Sydney office and I don't mean that in a negative I just mean it more as he was he would have I guarantee you he would have been thinking what the hell is going on like are you joking like because you know I'm a do and ask for forgiveness not a ask for permission kind of person I'll just do something and then go oh sorry so you know I'm sure you had to deal with a lot of (laughs) things that I didn't even know about when uh, we first started business but I mean to John's credit he's a kind of the quiet achiever he'll just kind of he'll work around people around him in a way he's very selfless which is his strength and his weakness you know like I think as every the best traits in people are also their worst traits the selflessness that John has is amazing for the office but sometimes you're like oh my god John just tell me what you want kind of thing he's like it's not about what I want so you know I think probably in the early years I created the energy and he kept the he he established the office and I got the I kept the energy probably was how it happened in the early days. He was also the person that legitimized the office. So I would go to a meeting and say something ridiculous and he would work out a way in the background to make it happen not make it happen but kind of set it up. So I remember when we were doing Glebe Harbor early on, you know, there was a really strong community action group um, headed by one of the professors of architecture and it was about the Walter Billy Griffin incinerator and you know I was in my 20s doing this and they looked at me like there's no way you're doing this like we are not going to give you the capacity to do this Uh, and John kind of stepped in and took control of that to help he had the capacity to hold those people you know he was pretty young too he had the capacity to hold those people in a way that I never did and you know that's how we met Alison McCabe who's the director of planning because John had to go to a lot of meetings with Alison about this planning thing she was at Leichhardt Council and then I got to know Alison and then one day I was like why didn't you how long have you been at Leichhardt Council for and she's like oh whatever and I said well, why don't you come be our planner at SJB she's like Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was born. <clears throat> yeah. So, like, I mean, I think a lot of that, a lot of the success of the office today is kind of built on that pragmatism and um, carefulness mm. that John has and had in the start of the business. Mm. Yeah. I think it's actually quite a 
special and a pretty rare relationship to have. And like I said, it's yin and yang, but that's that's actually, you know, obviously makes the whole, Yeah. you know, you derive energy, but also steadiness to people who totally. implicitly trust each other, but have wildly different personalities and, wildly different. and ways of wanting to run a business. Totally. So, and I think that, I mean, yeah, to John's credit, he, he has been comfortable Oh, he's, facil- he's facilitated some of, some of my ambition, which yeah. has been incredibly generous on his behalf. Yeah, to yeah. to be that to yeah. be that arctic. Um, and so, just on the on that um, on that point of implicitly trusting each other, but also having the ability to have a disagreement and still be cohesive. I guess just on that on that topic of um, disagreement. So, you know, in the early days, there's the two of you. Um, yeah. And then now you've got four. Yeah. And so, obviously, there's a, there's a lot more complexity in obviously personality but also the fact that there are quite a few more people involved in in the leadership of the company i guess what are some of the things that have that you've learned over the years or that everyone's learned over the years that enable you to come to some arrangement about the way to push the business forward making sure that everybody's actually quite happy with what they're doing um Mm. and the, the direction which the business is taking but then also deal with disagreements such that you remain cohesive. Yeah, I th- like I honestly don't think we actually have disagreements. Yeah. Like, and I don't mean that. I'm sure you know we definitely disagree about things, mm. but we never have disagreements. So um, I think you just get to a position where you think, or collectively, the four of us know what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. You give people a focus on. Okay, well, you know, once you think about this bit of the business, what are we doing? So again, but how do we make decisions? Uh, how do we not argue? How do we, you know, how do we yeah. come to a, a collective position about what the business is? I do think um, the four of us have a position about what is the best for the practice. So, of course, there's individual ambition that comes into play about what people want to do, and you know, there's times I'm sure when we haven't managed it as well as we could have or should have. But in the end, I do think it's about this kind of culture of thinking, well, what's best for the business and how does the business thrive? And that's good, you know, you get to make good decisions in that and you get to have to make really tough decisions sometimes about how does the business survive. I think also what we've done the last couple of years is we've broadened that decision-making base, not necessarily the ownership, but the decision-making base into a a larger group of people. You know, that's um, interesting because... You know, sometimes the people, uh, in the studio leaders, the studio directors at the moment, there's four of them. You know, I can see sometimes they look at me and think, but hang on a minute, I don't own any of this business, so tell me what to do. I'm not making, I'm not going to make that decision. That's important for you to make that decision. And you can see them think, but I don't have the authority to make that decision. Because in inherently, I think we're, what we're taught is that in architecture practice, I think if you own the business, you have, you're the one making the decision. And if you don't own the business, you're making decisions about buildings, but you're not necessarily making decisions about business. business. Yeah? yeah. So, you know, sometimes I think they look at me like, you tell me what to do. Yeah. It's like, no, you do what you think's right and we'll live with it. So I think that, again, it comes down to trust. If you don't, if you don't trust someone enough to be a senior leader in the business, well, then to make decisions, well, then don't put them in that position. Mm. You know, like you've got to give them, you've got to let people fail. You've got to be comfortable that people fail. Sometimes you want, you know, like there are, there are moments in the office where you think, I really want, I want the learning. You can see it's failing and you think, I really want you to learn the process of failure and then how to turn around because that's what we had, that's what we had to do. Yeah. We lived our failures, but at the same time, you're like, oh my God, that project can't fail because that's employing five people. And if that fails and that client gets pissed off, that's really not very good. And, you know, I do think, I do think people get pissed off at you actually when you step in to stop them failing. 
they probably because they probably don't know that they're failing. How do you proactively and in a supportive way talk to somebody about them failing when they haven't failed? Yeah. You know, in their mind, they haven't failed yet. Well, they're not even thinking they're failing, right? Because early in your career, you don't know what failure looks like. So you don't even know that it's happening until it slaps you in the face. How do you have that conversation with somebody and say that this is failing and they look at you and say, no, it's not, it's going fine. It's like, no, it's not. (laughs) It's really not. And do that in a way which empowers them rather than um, cutting them off. Mm. And I probably, I don't think I'm very good at it, to be honest. I'm not very good at having frank conversations with people. I don't like upsetting people. So one of my weaknesses is that I'm not, I probably don't give feedback in a really proactive way. I suppose the thing that you do, you do have to get to a point where you say, well, actually, if you're, if you're a leader in the business, I have to give you that capacity to fail and it's going to happen and we'll deal with the consequences because it's important to learn, but it's yeah. important to learn on small things, not on big things. So, you know, it's an ongoing process that if I knew the answer it would be easier. I mean, I think that the, I think the benefit I have we have is that we don't have an ambition to be big as a business so there's no like let's go and conquer the world and have five offices in 10 different cities and it's almost the absolute um, opposite of that where we only want to work here uh, with people we like on projects we like uh, supporting people that we enjoy working with and we try to edit out the rest you know I don't I have no ambition to get on a plane to go to a project site in that way if you know your context know your environment quite well it's quite good because you can then kind of know your limits i suppose this is the end of the second part of the episode i personally think there is a huge amount of value in this part For me, the standout is the value of opposites, particularly in the context of business partners. I've always found Adam and John's early day story fascinating, particularly because they have such different personalities and management styles, yet it has worked so well for them from a business perspective. Coming up will be the third and final part of the episode where Adam talks about fostering diversity and the principle of generosity, Adam also talks about work-life balance, staying motivated and fresh, as well as his key observations after more than two decades of business leadership. See you soon.